Hey, welcome back to the finale, episode three of Jesus and Justice, where we are discussing a biblical response to racism and racial prejudices in a post-slavery age, specifically in America. But we also have a global mindset as we think about these things. So this podcast arose from the overwhelming and varying responses that I saw to the death of Ahmaud Aubrey. And then also now, as you probably have seen to George Floyd, if you turn on the news or get on any social media platform, you cannot escape the many responses to racism, racial prejudices, and racial injustices in the world. It will not take you long to see that these responses vary in degree. Some are loving, some are filled with hatred. Um, They vary from kind to wicked, from forgiving to those filled with strife. And I know that it is very tempting as Christians to respond in the way that the world does to sin and the great depravity that we cannot seem to escape. So in a fight like this, it can be tempting to sit back and let the world figure it out because you know that you should not respond like they are responding with hatred and with strife and with filled with wickedness. So it can be tempting to say, we're just going to let the world figure out their problems and we're just going to preach the gospel. It can be very tempting to do this. And I think in this This final podcast, if you have not listened or maybe you have not recognized these things in the other, I think you will recognize that Christians, those who are supposed to be submitted to God and seeking him for all things, and especially we can see in the entire world, we are all in desperate need of God. From the looter, those burning down buildings because they are filled with anger and they are tired of the oppression that they have felt. Um, I watched a, a Bible project video where they talked about the word justice and the biblical definition of justice. And they said that oftentimes the oppressor, once they have been free and once they have gained their freedom, they will oftentimes become the oppressor because their anger has not been appeased. They have still have no peace. And I think we see this. The looters are filled with so much anger. And in some sense, they have a right to be angry. They have been oppressed. They are upset about the injustices that they see in the world. And nobody wants to do anything about it. Nobody wanted to listen to Colin Kaepernick when he was peacefully protesting. Now everybody is so upset that they are burning down buildings. But I say again, when we look at these things from the looter to the corrupt officer, from the peaceful protester to the good cop, from the president to the mayor we are all in deep deep need for God and we see it in how all of these arrays of people from the good cop to the bad cop from the looter to the corrupt officer from the president to the mayor we see how they're responding to racism racial injustices and to the sins of the world and it just makes me see man we are in deep need for God and so a quick recap In episode two, we looked at loving mercy. So we've been walking through Micah chapter six, verses six through eight. And we've been going line by line, looking at these themes that God has presented to us about what honors him and what he sees as good. And so in the first episode, we talked about doing justice. And then last episode, we talked about loving mercy or loving kindness, depending on the 
biblical translation that you have. So we said we love mercy spiritually by first receiving mercy from the giver of mercy. And then we said we love mercy spiritually by secondly preaching the gospel and praying for God's mercy over all nations. And then we said we strive to live mercifully physically by showing mercy to racist brothers and sisters in the church body and then also extending that merciful arm out into the world. So we strive to show mercy to racist brothers and sisters in the church with a local and global mindset by first loving them with steadfast love. And this sometimes should take the shape of calling out their sin. If you truly love your brothers and you truly want to show mercy to them, Jude tells us that sometimes that calls us to snatch them from the fire. And there are some people in our churches, there are church leaders, church members, those who who are teaching Sunday school that have racist ideologies. And instead of calling them out in their sin and truly loving them with the love that God has loved us with, and sometimes this love God has loved us with requires him to discipline us. We see that in the Old Testament. Sometimes we just let them go on living in their sin. And I ask, do you really love your brother? If you would allow them to continue in their sin, if you allow them to continue in the path of destruction, they can profess Christ and not really be a Christian. They can say that they are following Christ and not actually live according to his ways. So if you truly love them, you would call them out in their sin in order that in hopes of them coming unto repentance. And that leads us to the second thing we talked about. We pray for them to come to repentance. We do not want to see those in the church, no people's. Uh, be condemned to hell for all of eternity to experience the wrath of God. So we love them with steadfast love. We pray for them to come to repentance and we point them to the word. We don't want to hear your opinion. I am tired of hearing people's opinions. All people speaking according to relative truth. Everybody's opinions and ideas of truth are contradicting each other. We need people who are going to point people to absolute truth. The way, the truth, and the life, and the person of Jesus Christ and in the word that he has given us. And that leads us to that we should remind them of the life of Christ. We should point them to the light of the glory of Christ and we should participate in heaven like fellowship. You can do all those things. You can love with steadfast love, call out your racist brothers unto repentance, point them to the word, remind them of the life of the glory of Christ. But in your life, if you are not living out gospel centered racial reconciliation, gospel centered heaven like fellowship, nobody will care about anything that you're quote unquote preaching unto them. So do you do life and have real and authentic conversations and experiences with all peoples? And so we should also work to mend racial divides and racial inequalities for equal opportunity. If the church is the most segregated place in America, the the world is not going to listen to us about racial reconciliation. Apparently, we know nothing about racial reconciliation. If we're the most segregated place, if we can't even come under one accord, if we if the Bible tells us that we have been bond together with one spirit and one unity, yet we can't even come worship that one God, the one Lord under one baptism together. Why would the world listen to us about racial reconciliation? It doesn't even make sense for them to listen to us, for us to have a voice. So not only do we work to mend racial divides and racial inequalities for equal opportunity for all peoples, we also should learn about different nations and other people groups in the same way that your church teaches you about that people group that's in Africa, the people group that are in Middle Middle Eastern countries. We should also seek to learn about the different ethnicities that are in our own country in America. 
that in itself will help us begin to understand the beauty with which God has created all of us in, in, in the beauty he has created us with in, so that we might glorify him. Not that we would reflect on ourselves, but that we would glory him, not glory ourselves. So that was episode two. So I'm going to read Micah 6, 6, 7, and 8 once again. And we're going to really go through this last episode. And again, like I said, I hope that uh, God has been glorified with this, that the saints have been sanctified and that dead people in their sin have been made alive because of what we see in God's word about Jesus and justice. And I hope that, uh, even more importantly, that after you listen to this, you will be prompted to live out justice. Justice is not a ideology with which we say we agree with. Justice is something that we do. Mercy is something that we do. Walking humbly, you will see lastly is something that we do. God has called us to action. So Micah 6, 6, 8 says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, would the Lord be pleased if we just preach the gospel? And this is what he says in verse 8. He has told you, God has told us, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness or to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. The last thing we are exhorted to do in Micah 6, 6, 8 is to walk humbly. And when we look at this word humbly or the word humility in the Old Testament, it comes from the word hasne. And it means to be humble, clear, pure, cautious, careful, and reasonable. When we look at Proverbs 15, 33, it says the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility becomes before honor. Proverbs 22, 4 says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life. Proverbs 3, 7 says be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil to the same way that we say to be humble means to be not wise in our own eyes. Meaning we know again that we are in desperate need of God. Humility in the New Testament is defined as to be made low, to humiliate. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. James 4, 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's so much in scripture that talks about humility, the gospel in itself, the person of Jesus Christ and us laying down ourselves and truly coming before God, seeing ourselves as we truly are as sinners and lifting up God's name above our own. That is humility in itself. So when we look at this spiritually, we see that we should walk humbly with God because we desperately need him. And we see that first we need him for life. Psalm 146 says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I will praise the Lord. As long as I live, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being put not your trust in princes, put not, I will rephrase this, put not your trust in presidents, put not your trust in mayors, put not your trust in political policies, put not your trust in princes. It says in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. 
on that very day, his plans perish. So why do I not put my trust in princes? And why do I not put my trust in presidents? Why do I not put my trust in mayors? Because they cannot grant us salvation. They cannot grant us life. When their breath departs, so do their plans. And so do their policies. But what does the next verse say? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. We need God for everything. We don't just need him for racial reconciliation. We don't just need him to come and heal our land. We need God for everything. We need God to, to understand justice, to understand righteousness, to take care of the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. We need him for salvation physically and spiritually. We need God for life. And not only... Do we need God for life? And we talked about that generally, but we look more specifically. We need God for guidance and wisdom. Proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Not only do we need God for guidance and wisdom, we need him for protection. Psalm 124 8 says our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then, yes, we do church. We need God for racial reconciliation. Psalm 133, one says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And so we, what, when we see what we need God for, which is life, which is everything, God is in wisdom, protection, racial reconciliation. We should understand that when we walk in our own way, we are saying we believe we do not need God. We are saying we do not need him for life. We're saying we do not need him for guidance and wisdom and for protection and for racial reconciliation. So we should pray for humility. Otherwise, we will be humiliated. We should pray for God to give us life. We should confess our great need for him. We should praise him for his goodness and his character and his attributes. We cannot ask God to be fully himself in certain areas of our land. We want God to be fully holy when we speak on abortion, but we want to just let the world deal with racial reconciliation. No, no, no. When we ask God to come in and to intervene and for God to be crowned Lord over all of us, we have to expect God and he will come fully himself every part of his character every one of his attributes never working in contradiction to one another but working in complete harmony as the trinity as god if we want god to come we must desire him to come manifest himself fully and completely in all that he is and it starts first with the church the church wants the world to be humiliated because of their sin without us actually walking walking humbly with god ourselves that doesn't even make sense so we should pray for guidance and wisdom. We should pray for protection. We should pray for racial reconciliation. You know what the church body says when, when we say that we would rather just preach the gospel and not actively work for racial reconciliation? We are telling the world that ra racial reconciliation is not God's business. 
That is the, we're telling them that that's the world's problem to deal with. And I say that that is lazy and that is wicked because the world has no basis for justice, no basis for mercy, no basis for unity, and absolutely no basis for reconciliation. How foolish do you have to be to let broken people try to fix an already broken system when you have been made whole? So yes, we preach the gospel, but we also vote. We preach the gospel, but we also march. We preach the gospel, but we also reform policies and fight to change unjust laws. The church loves to preach the gospel, but how about we start living the gospel? I think that would be a great idea. I think scripture exhorts us to do this. So that's what we do spiritually. We Walk humbly with God because we desperately need him for life, for guidance and wisdom, protection, and absolutely for racial reconciliation. We need God for everything. So not only that, but we walk humbly with God and we deal humbly with one another. So we seek the best first for each other's lives. Not only do we need God for life, but we seek the best for each other's lives. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And Mark 12 tells us, and you, this is a famous passage of scripture, love thy neighbor as thyself. The only way that we can deal humbly with each other is if we walk humbly with God. And we are in desperate need of that to let our love be genuine, to honor one another, to show brotherly affection to one another. And then we should seek to guide each other, guide each other rightly and govern each other in justice with wisdom. James 3, 13 through 18. These verses are so good. It says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly unspiritual and demonic when you put your trust in princes and presidents and mayors and those who have not sought out god for heavenly wisdom you are putting your trust in those who have wisdom that is earthly unspiritual and demonic and that is exactly the type of of policies and principles and ways that they're going to lead us in in ways that are earthly unspiritual and demonic For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vow practice. Where you see jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder in every vow practice, that's your way to know that the person leading you is not seeking heavenly wisdom. That they are doing things according to the earth, according to things that are unspiritual and demonic. So look at our land. Look at what's going on. Look at who is leading us. That you, we see disorder. We see vile practice. We do not see peace. Within the church, we see disorder, vile practices, selfish ambition, and jealousy. Because in the church, instead of Christ being our head, the one who is all wise, we instead want to run after men. That's why we see these things. But look at what the next verses say. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is good news. 
to know that yes, there is a wisdom that is unspiritual and demonic and earthly, but there is a wisdom that is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And we have access Christian to that wisdom. We do not have to sow jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and vile practices by our earthly wisdom, but we have access to heavenly wisdom that can promote purity, peace, gentleness, to be open to reason, to allow us to listen to those that we do not even agree with without being angry and without being pushed to empty arguments. And we can be full of mercy and good fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can be impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we should seek to guide each other rightly and govern each other in justice with wisdom. That's why we pray for godly wisdom, because we desperately need godly wisdom to deal rightly with one another. And not only that, we seek to protect each other. Romans 12, 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. (coughs) Excuse me. And then we also seek racial reconciliation. Romans 12, 16 says that we are to live in harmony with one another. To not be haughty, but to associate with the holy. And I will say, and it's true, I've seen it, I've experienced, I've lived it. Where there is harmony amongst each other, there must be humility. There's not going to be harmony with those who are puffed up. Those who boast in themselves. This is why the scripture tells us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So what is gospel racial reconciliation? Gospel-centered racial reconciliation seeks reconciliation to God as we are being reconciled to one another, which manifests unity in all aspects of life, in the church, in our families, in our careers, in government. So we should see it in healthcare and education. Gospel racial reconciliation seeks reconciliation to God as we are being reconciled to one another, which will manifest unity in all aspects of life. And you ask, Shay, how? How, how are we going to see that? Because God has commissioned his people of every nation, tribe, and tongue who have been unified by one spirit and bound in peace into all aspects of life. Ephesians 2 tells us that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all of us. And we have been bound into a spirit of unity of peace, bound and unified together. So God has commissioned this people, which he has called out unto himself. He has called out the church to glorify his name and to be unified under his banner, under his victory, under Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He has commissioned us out into the world. That is how we will see reconciliation because this people, he has reconciled himself and into one another and he has commissioned us into all aspects of life to make disciples. So God has placed his people in education. He has placed his people in healthcare. He has placed his people in government into all types of careers. God's people are teachers. His peoples are doctors. His peoples own stores. His peoples are cashiers at Walmart. His peoples pick up trash. His peoples are in all aspects of life. That is how we are able to see gospel racial reconciliation in the world because God has brought a people unto himself of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he has unified us under one spirit and one Lord, one baptism, one faith. And so you ask, okay, that sounds good, but there's a problem because we don't see that. That's right. What is the problem? The first thing we see is that God's people, 
in his body glorify their skin color or ethnicity more than they do God. Yes, that's right. We see racist people in God's church. People who love their skin color and their ethnicity more than they do God or glory in their skin color and ethnicity more than they do God. That's a problem. Or they depend more on their own perceived power than the mighty arm of God. They would rather place more hope and faith in the vote that they have for their favorite political leader than they do in the word of God and what he has promised us. So they depend more on their own perceived power, what they think their money has afforded them or what they think their political power will afford them than the mighty arm of God. And they and then next that they are satisfied more in the beauty and pleasure of their culture than the beauty and pleasure that we have in God. That's right. Yeah, your music that your culture produces, it's great. It's awesome. The culture that your 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 people group or your ethnicity produces out into the world, that's awesome. But you should not be more satisfied in that than you are in beauty and pleasure that is in God. And also, God's people care more about their nationality than they do reaching all the nations. If you bleed red and blue and the 50 stars more than you do for all nations, then you are not living according to scripture. You cannot pray the Psalms and you cannot read throughout scripture without understanding God's heart for the nations. So if you're, if you think your nation is greater and you have a a greater tie to your nations above all nations, then you do not understand gospel racial reconciliation. It will be hard for you to even live out gospel racial reconciliation. Because again, like I said earlier, yeah, we're talking about this locally in America, but also globally. There's no way you can go and preach the gospel to black people in Africa if you are a white racist in America that your ties to this country is greater than your ties in unity with Jesus Christ. If you're an African American that's racist and preaching black power, there's no way that you can go to the Middle East and preach the gospel to Muslims who who worship Allah because your ties to your your black power movement is greater than your unity with Christ. So the problem is a lot of people in the church care more about their nationality and their ethnicity more than they do about reaching the nations. And also they thrive more on policies and political parties rather than peace with God and one another. There are so many people I see in the church that would rather piss off or make upset a church member because of they disagree on political parties or policies. Like how foolish, what type of unity do you have if your policy and your political party will allow you to break ties with your brother? Yet go and take up communion, yet go and worship and sing Although you hate each other because one of you bleeds blue and the other of you bleeds red. Again, it makes no sense. Again, why would the world listen to us? And lastly, another problem is the people in church. We long to see the advancement of our nation more than the kingdom of God. We, we, we weep and we stand and raise our hands over God bless America, but we don't bow down and worship before our Lord when we sing hymns and we sing praises and we sing worship songs unto him because we are more moved about the, the advancement of our country in America than we are more moved by God saving souls and people uh, being set free from their sin and the transgressions and the wrath that they or were due because of their sin before God. How foolish again do we sound? Maybe maybe that's why we don't march. 
Because we don't care about God advancing his kingdom in an opportunity like what we see in the brokenness and the, and the sin and the transgressions that we see. Yeah, of course we don't protest. Of course we're not going to go and speak and talk on these things. Of course we're going to just say all lives matter. Of course we're going to just pr- say these different things and say we can easily preach and say the word and say to, to a, another person of color or somebody else and, and talk about it and say, oh, okay, well, you know, in Christ, in Christ, and we're going to preach the gospel in Christ. You know, I love you my brother we are we are one i see you as a brother and sister in christ there's no longer jew or gentile slave or free male nor free male you can stop preaching these things if you're not going to live them out because what we really see in your actions is you long to see the advancement of this nation more than you do the kingdom of god that's why we need we desperately need god and we need him in our church we need god to reform uh, the the foundation on which we have built our church institutions and we need to stand on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Because when you build your own foundation on which you preach, when you build your own foundation on which you teach your Sunday school classes, you, you can easily uh, tie together patriotism and your, your professing of Christ. And those two don't go together. Because scripture tells us that we are not citizens of this place. We are just here for a little while and our eternal dwelling places with God. And so, yeah, again, this is not a message to say, oh, well, we should not submit to governing authorities and we should just. No, that's not biblically. We should, should submit to governing authorities and we should pray for our leaders to have peace with them and to pray for salvation for all leaders, for all peoples. But we do that under the sovereignty of God, knowing that he first is our leader and he lastly is our leader. God's term of our leader never ends and God has not been voted into office and he cannot be impeached. God forever reigns over us. And the Christian is excited about that. We do not weep because God reigns over us forever and that his term never ends because we have a God that delights in steadfast love, justice and righteousness. So what have we seen After looking at all of this, when we look at doing justice, loving, kindness and mercy and walking humbly with God. And when we speak specifically to this issue of racism, racial prejudices and racial injustices, we see that racism is a sin issue that has manifested itself very strongly in a system. I'll say that again. Racism is a sin issue that has manifested itself very strongly in a system. Racism is not some abstract ideology or just some abstract issue. Racism resides in the heart of man because sin is in the heart of man. We are totally wicked, totally depraved. Romans 3 tells us that no one seeks God. No one chases after him. No one desires God because we are totally depraved. We are totally wicked apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you have wicked men, sinful men creating systems. So obviously the systems are going to be corrupt and they are not going to be for the good of all peoples. So yes, we make laws to amend and reform the system, but we also seek to to see the heart of man change. You might change the system, but the people behind it will still be corrupt. So it is a systemic issue. Yes, but even greater, it is a sin issue. And Satan is smart. He uses man's sins, man's sin nature to his agenda. And he has used man's wickedness and hatred of one another to create a racial unjust system. 
It has Satan written all over it. It is divisive, it's deadly, and it's altogether wicked. And, and the Bible tells us that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, how about that? We see Satan's hand. He has played his hand. And so you ask, well, what has the all-wise God done about Satan's sin and his system? God has sent his son to save souls. That is what he has done about Satan's sin and his system. So what happens is when a non-believer who is racist, which is one of their many sins against God, but when they see the light of glory of Christ, repent of their sin and turn from their wicked ways by believing upon Jesus for salvation, everything changes. Ezekiel says, God takes hearts of stones and turns them into hearts of flesh. So the gospel, who by the way is a person, not just four books in the Bible, the gospel uproots everything we once knew. Or according to Jeremiah, God thrusts down our idols and casts them on their faces. The gospel in the person of Jesus Christ changes us from loving thyself with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he shows us a greater glory in him that we can never find in ourselves. And he shows us a greater pleasure in him that our ethnical privileges could never afford. And he fills us with his spirit and regenerates us. He removes the eyes of the old Adam by which we saw our brothers and sisters and he gives us new vision. So now we love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I love God, I delight in pleasing him. I want to be a sweet smelling aroma unto him. I want to be a living sacrifice unto him. And David tells us that God does not despise broken and contrite hearts in Psalms 51. And in Jeremiah, God says, do not boast in anything else, but boast in the Lord who delights in steadfast love, righteousness and justice. If God was pleased to subject his son to wrath, to display his steadfast love to the world, then God is pleased when we love one another. And we see that in Deuteronomy where he says, love the sojourner Ten in Deuteronomy 10, 19, 10, 18, 26 and 11 and, and a plethora of other verses in the Old Testament. And then in John 13, 35, 1 Peter 4 and 8, Galatians 5 and 14 are just a few of the verses in the New Testament that talk about how God has desired us to love one another. So don't you see it? What has God required of us? It's not just to preach the gospel. It's to live the gospel, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. So we do. We, we want to walk humbly with God because we are in desperate need of him. We need him for life. We need him for guidance and wisdom. We need him for protection. We need him for, for racial reconciliation. And so we pray according to these things. We pray for humility. We pray for life from God. We pray for guidance and wisdom, for protection, and for racial reconciliation. And we walk humbly with God and seek to deal humbly with one another. And we seek to guide each other rightly and govern each other in justice with wisdom. We seek to protect each other. And we seek racial Gospel racial reconciliation where we seek really reconciliation to God as we are being reconciled to one another, which manifests itself in unity in all aspects of life. Let us pray. Lord God, you are so good and your word is so good and it cuts away our flesh. It cuts away our false ideologies and the false things that we want to believe, the false things we want to preach. So, Lord, it will be very difficult to deal rightly with our brothers and sisters and all of mankind if we see ourselves as better or higher than them. 
God, show us your glory so that we may see how much higher you are than all of us. For the earth is your footstool. May we not be like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who came to you praying, filled with pride. But may we instead take on the posture of the tax collector in humility. God, may we hold back our songs to you until we can truly love one another. For how could we sing to you and not love one another when we are singing to a God who delights in steadfast love? God, may we hold back our songs to you until we can execute justice and righteousness. For how could we sing to you and not execute justice and righteousness when we are singing to a God who delights in justice and righteousness? God, grant us life. We know that life is found in your son, Jesus, for he is the resurrection and the life. God, grant us wisdom so that we may be able to discern that which is pleasing to you. God, grant us protection so that we may seek to care for all peoples. God, reconcile us to you and to one another. God, we want our church to look like heaven where every nation, tribe, and tongue will worship you as king in unity that we cannot even fathom. God, help us to begin living that out here. Grant us wisdom so that we may know how to vote, how to create just laws, how to amend and reform unjust laws, and how to punish rightly the wicked. God, teach us your ways, O Lord. Help humble us, Lord. We are in great need of all that you are. Your holiness, your goodness, your kindness, your your omnipotence, your transcendence, and your eminence. And your wisdom. God, we need gospel-centered responses to all the brokenness that we see. May the person of Jesus guide our response so that all we do would be glorifying to you. Amen.